We're in a series called Home on the Rock. And so tonight, we want to deal with the topic of marriage. Now, you may not know this, but marriage was God's idea. Did you know that? He's the one who thought it up. It's a good idea. And so tonight, we want to deal with three questions. One, what is marriage? Secondly, why get married? And then thirdly, then what are the keys to having the kind of marriage that God would want us to have? And so let's just jump into that. Here's the first question. What is marriage? The Bible defines marriage as one man and one woman entering into a legal covenant commitment with each other. You know, I've heard people say many times, you probably have too, well, you know, it's just a piece of paper, and in a sense, I get what they're saying, but it's more than just a piece of paper, obviously. And it's different in different cultures, different times, what it means to be married, but in our day, getting married involves a license and some sort of legalized ceremony. It might be the big elaborate, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars kind of thing, or something very simple, but some sort of legalizing ceremony. I had a friend back when we lived in Texas, a guy who I think very sincerely loved Jesus, but sometimes he would get emotionally ahead of himself. And one day he showed up at church with... Uh, the gal that he had been seeing, and he announced, you know, we were just there underneath the tree together, and God told us we were married. And I said, Roger, you're not married. He said, yeah, but God just told us. We were there, we were praying, and God just told us we were married. I said, Roger, you're not married. And he found out a few weeks later when she just up and left that they weren't actually married. As I said earlier, marriage was designed by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper that's suitable for him. And so down in verse 24, it goes on and says, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That getting married involves a leaving, a leaving of your parents, a leaving of your independence, and cleaving to, now, this person that is your husband or is your wife. It is a, a merging of no longer two, but now one. And that's why divorce is so difficult. Because it's no longer your side and my side. There's been this melding together. There's been this mixing up together. I think it's also why our modern day culture view of sex is so destructive. You know, we have the view... Many in our culture hold the view that, you know, it's just two consenting adults pleasuring each other. There's no commitment necessarily involved. 
And Tina Turner told us, what's love got to do with it, right? And if you can't be with the one you love, then, you know, love the one you're with. All of those kinds of things that our culture has taken to heart. But God's design was that sex would be this bonding agent between a husband and a wife. It was part of that process of cementing them together as one flesh. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it said the two will become one flesh. And so the fact that in our culture we've taken sex and just turned it into a separate thing that we just do for pleasure, that's the danger of it. Because marriage, where sex by God's standard is intended, is this merging aspect of two into one. It's like the pouring of two different colors sand into one vase. Many people or a lot of people do this as kind of a symbolic thing in their wedding where they take you know, blue sand and red sand and they pour it together into one vase. Well, after you do that, it's hard to separate what's your sand and what's mine. It's all just one sand now. It's our combined aspect. And so marriage is this merging of goals. It's a merging of lives, of plans, of bank accounts, of, of living space, of closet space. I remember when Janet and I got married, I, I lived in a small one-bedroom one apartment, and so as we were getting ready to get married, I cleared away half the closet in two drawers. You know, the naivety of young love, right? There's this merging. It's not equal, is it? It's a, it's a taking over. It's a, you get what I'm saying. And it's important to understand that the Bible doesn't elevate being married as superior to being unmarried. In fact, I would remind you that Jesus was unmarried, that the Apostle Paul was unmarried. In fact, Paul said that he wished that all of us Christians were all, all of us were unmarried because it frees us to be more wholly devoted to Jesus. If you want more on that, you can... Um, you can check out 1 Corinthians 7 for yourself. Well, if that's the case, then question number two is this, then. Well, why get married? Well, in our culture, we do it for love. You know, you fall in love first, and then you get married. In other cultures where there's arranged marriages, you get married and then you grow to love each other. But marriage or getting married, married is driven by this desire to commit to each other. To have this greater synergy. You know, that we're, we're more together than we are separate. We're better off with each other and we recognize that. And so we, we want to commit to the development, to the... The permanence of that. You know, we're a team together. We fill gaps, as Rocky told Adrian. 
For those of you who don't understand that clue, you're just too darn young. And it's true, isn't it, that we often pick mates who are different than us because we do complement each other. We do complete each other. You can cue Tom Cruise there and Jerry Maguire, right? But the point of marriage, this is so important that we understand this. That the point of marriage from God's perspective is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And that's true of all relationships if you're a Christ follower tonight. And certainly there's no relationship closer than the, than the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage. And so in marriage we, we do complement each other and at the same time we rub the, the rough or the sharp edges off of each other in that complementing process. And we work together as a team to often have and raise up the next generation of Jesus lovers if we have children. We work together to increase God's glory in the earth. We work together to push back the impact of sin in the broken, fallen world that we all live in. We work together to reach out and help rescue others who are spiritually lost and and who need to know Jesus. But if you've been going along all this time thinking that the purpose of your marriage was just to make each other happy, then you've made a fundamental flaw on the whole basis of your relationship. Now, it's okay if you're happy, <laughs> but that can't be your goal. Just like it's okay if you're rich, but that can't be your goal. It's okay if you're successful, but that can't be your goal. It's okay if you're famous. Nothing wrong with being famous, but that can't be your goal. But you see, where we get ourselves in trouble is that these other things become the goal instead of serving and advancing the kingdom of God and the ways that God wants to use this other person in my life to make things happy, to make me more like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, he says here. But I think you can substitute anything. You cannot serve both God and the pursuit of happiness. Or the pursuit of success. Or the pursuit of fulfillment. Or any of those other things. You can only have one master. That's why Jesus a few verses later in verse 33 says, But seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And so, Malachi chapter 2 tells us that God hates divorce because it breaks up a recreated whole 
that's no longer just two halves. Certainly because of the impact it can have on our children. Because it is a tearing apart of souls. But, but I think also because it interrupts the work that God is doing. And that he wants to do in our lives through that other person. See, the purpose of marriage isn't to make us happy. It's to make us holy. Now, even as I say that, please understand, Malachi says God hates divorce. It doesn't say that God hates divorced people. And anytime you talk about this, it's always this danger that someone's going to hear it and they're going to start to feel inferior. And that's missing at all what, what I'm saying, what Malachi is saying, what God has to say on this subject. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are divorced and it was not of your choosing. Some of you are divorced and it was very much of your doing. But you can't undo the past. Here's what I want you to hear tonight is that this, that God always deals with us in the present tense. So give him your right now, regardless of what may or may not have happened in the past. That's why Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 24 says this. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail they're new every morning they're always in the present tense right great as we sang a minute ago is your faithfulness and so i say to myself the lord is my portion therefore i will wait for him you know, I think this can be one of the hardest aspects of following Christ, isn't it? You know, striving after God's standards while at the same time recognizing brokenness and the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world where God always continues to extend forgiveness and healing. And so in light of that, we strive to see God use our marriage, if we are married, and our spouse, if we do have a spouse, to be part of the work that God is doing in me. And so, then, if you're married, or if maybe someday you'd like to be married, or maybe you know people who are married, and you might have the chance to speak into their lives, then the third question is this. What are the keys then to having the kind of marriage that God desires for us to have? Well, I think one of the key passages on that, you've heard this probably before, is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 21, where Paul says this. He says, Submit... To one another out of reverence for Christ. And wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband 
is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body at which, of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You know, the minute you read those verses, you can just hear the oxygen sucked out of the room, right? But I'd remind you of a few things before I finish this passage. One is that the whole concept, the whole line of thought here starts in verse 21 with Paul telling us that in our relationship as a husband and a wife to each other, there's an element of submitting to each other as well as submitting to Christ that's in play there. I'd also remind you that uh, what's written here is written to wives, not to husbands to demand of their wives, as sometimes you have. It's not written to husbands, it's written to wives. And then the third thing I'd remind you is that the instructions to the wives consist of three verses, and the instructions to the husbands consist of eight verses. So... Bear that in mind, men, if you're fond of telling your wives they need to submit. But Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Not only that, verse 25, then he goes, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they take care of their body, just as Christ does the church. For we're members of his body. And so for this reason, going back to the words of Genesis, Paul quoting, he says, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what's the keys then to having the kind of marriage that God would have us have if we're married or if we'll be married or if we're offering wisdom to those who are? I think it's important here that husbands, it says to us that we are to love our wives, that we're to follow the example of Jesus. That's not love the gushy feeling. That's love the action. That's love the doing. You know, what Jesus did, that's our example here. Jesus loved to the point of dying for his bride, the body of Christ, the church. We're to lay down our lives, that kind of love, for our wives to follow Jesus' example. And wives, it says here that you are to respect your husbands. And doing these things is going to involve selflessness. 
It's going to involve forgiveness. It's going to involve humility. You know, pride is a relationship killer. You know, I was thinking just today of, of, of the arguments that Janet and I have had. I can probably trace them all back to my pride. Maybe once or twice she was proud, but mostly it was just me. But most of the time it was my pride. I mean, we have disagreements. I, you know, Ruth Graham used to say, if you never disagree, if you and another person never disagree, one of you is unnecessary. But pride, humility rather than pride, it involves being Jesus-centered. And you know, the number one mistake I would commend to you that I see in people that I know that I've had a chance to deal with or work with when it comes to their marriages, I think the number one mistake that we tend to make as humans is this aspect of looking to your spouse to fill the empty places in you. And I just want to tell you, that is a burden too great for any human being to bear. That only Jesus can fill those empty places in you. And so it is imperative that you find your security, that you find your significance, that you find your identity in Jesus, not looking for it in that other person to do that. And when you do that, that frees you then to be able to love them or to respect them as you should, rather than to constantly be sucking from them. Larry Crabb is fond of saying that when you have a relationship where you're looking to your spouse to satisfy those needs in you, it is like a tick-on-a-dog relationship. Who's the tick there for? <laughs> and so, we need to serve each other rather than to demand from each other. Because when we seek to demand that from our spouse, number one, it never works. And number two, who wants to be the dog in a tick-on-a-dog relationship? Worse yet, how do you make it work when it's a tick-on-a-tick relationship? Now, some of you are hearing these words of mine, and you're thinking, you know, I am all on board with this, of having the kind of marriage that puts God first, that's Jesus-centered. But, you know, my spouse isn't. And if that's you tonight, here's what I would say to you. It's just simply this. I can only be responsible for me. Isn't that right? I can't make it my goal to have a God-pleasing marriage. I can just make it my choice to be a God-pleasing husband. Or conversely, to be a God-pleasing wife. You can only be responsible for yourself. That's what God holds you to. Your part. And certainly the desire, the ideal, is to together 
unite in this common pursuit. It's like the old illustration of a triangle with you on one side and your spouse on the other and God on the top. And as you are both getting closer to God, what are you also? Who are you also getting closer to? Each other. Obviously, that's the goal. That's the desire. But I can only be responsible for me. That's what God holds me to. Well, let me wrap this up. God designed marriage. And it's a good thing. 35 years in, let me tell you, I am a satisfied customer. It's not better than being single or being unmarried. There's advantages to both. But marriage is a good thing. And the purpose of marriage is for God to use that relationship to make us holy. Not for us to use the other person to make us happy. It's okay to desire to be a team together with God at the center. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. And if your spouse will cooperate with that, by all means, together, pursue that together for the glory of Christ. But I can only be responsible for me. And so I do my part in the deal. And by the way, let me just say this. If, if you haven't been doing what God would have you to do because your spouse isn't on board, then I just want to tell you, I don't think God's going to take that as an adequate excuse. I don't think we're going to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you challenged me to do this, but hey, my wife wouldn't cooperate. No, God's going to say, but what would you do? I believe. Don't use your spouse as an excuse. Do what God's calling you to do. If that means serving, then you serve. If that means coming to worship like you should, then come to worship like you should. Don't not come because your spouse isn't. Or being in a small group or stepping out in faith and doing something. Conversely, I know sometimes I've talked to people and the reason that they give for not doing what God's calling them to do is they're waiting until God gives them a spouse to start doing it. <laughs> Don't wait. God's always in the present tense. Whatever condition you find yourself in, give yourself wholly to the Lord. Obey Him in that. And so if we are in a marriage relationship, we need to continue to be working at loving, at respecting each other. That feeling loved, feeling valued, feeling cherished is the fuel that your wife runs on, men. And likewise, being respected, being honored is the air supply that your husband breathes, ladies. But don't think for a minute that your mate will ever supply enough of what it is that you need. It's only Jesus who can do that. And so find your identity in Jesus, and then you'll be free to serve 
each other, to serve your spouse. And you can only do that by having, the, having Jesus at the center of your marriage in so much as you're capable. And you can only do that if Jesus is at the center of you. And so I just want to say to you tonight, if you're here and you're thinking, man, this sounds good, but you're not sure that Jesus is at the center of you, that's where it starts. I mean, have you come to the cross and realized that Jesus paid the price for you on the cross to pay for your sins, to make you right with God in ways that you never could achieve? And so you've come and you've received Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for your sin. Have you ever done that? Have you made him your savior? And if you've done that, are you living now in the present tense fully surrendered, completely everything given over to him? Have you found peace and rest, not in the security of someone else, but in the security of the love of Jesus. Well, I want to pray for us. And so uh, let me invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Dear Jesus, we, as we've said tonight, live in a broken fallen world and we want to be about what you're about we want to pursue your ways but meet us in that God it, 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 there's brokenness some of us are still in need of healing because of that brokenness over a relationship over a marriage God meet us in that some of us have empty places in ourselves because we have been looking to another person to try to fill up those empty spaces instead of you. God, help us confess that and turn to you instead of that other person, that other thing. God, for those of us who are married, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us walk in holiness, in righteousness, Seeking to live the way you would have us live. To live in such a way that we are impacting, if we have children, those children. If we do or if we don't, that we're impacting those around us. Lord, to live in such a way in our marriage or as a spouse that we're bringing glory to you. Lord, forgive us for the times that we seek in our marriage to make ourselves happy instead of seeking to please you and letting you be responsible for how we feel. That we don't put our happiness as our God, we serve you as our God. Lord, for those of us who are in marriages where we both know and love you, Jesus, help us to have marriages that bring you glory, that speak to the world around us, that this is what the love of Jesus is like. This is what serving each other looks like. That this is what it means to 
have a commitment to the other person that is more important than your own self, God. Help that preach to the world around us by the way we live and the way we behave and the way we act. And God, I pray through all of these things, Lord, for all of us who are married in here, Lord, that your blessings would be on our homes. That in an age where it's just so easy to give up, that when we're in an age when a lot of people around us will speak lies to us rather than truth about how we ought to do and how we ought to surrender our marriage and ourselves to you. God, I pray that you will help us constantly turn to you rather than turning to someone else or someone else's advice. God, I pray for the person who might be here that's just never taken that step to surrender their lives to you. Maybe they don't even know what that means. Lord, help them for, to, to the best of their knowledge come and say, Jesus, I don't know if I get it all, but I get that I'm a sinner. I get that you died on the cross for me. I surrender myself to you. I receive that. Lord, to the Christian man or woman who's here, but they have been holding pieces of themselves back, give them the courage to surrender it all. And God, I just pray through it all, you would be glorified. And I pray it in your gracious, righteous, holy name. Amen.